Welcome to a very special episode of the Remnant Podcast. It's a little bit different. I, I really just wanted to kind of um, turn the camera on and just talk to you for a little bit um, about about this book, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I don't know about you guys, but for those of you guys who are in a tribe, this book um, was amazing. You know, I had a, a night with uh, with my tribe, my tribe night recently, and we were discussing the book and just kind of going through it and just how impacting it was uh, for all of us. And, and every single guy was just so impacted by it. You know, some of the guys didn't even finish it, but but the parts they read, they were blown away and then the discussion was going. It was so powerful. You know, I, I chose this book as our first book of 2023 because you know, we want to start the year off. Um, we want to start Tribes off um, reading a book that's foundational uh, in our relationship with Jesus. It's Jesus first. I mean, in, in everything that we do, right? And so that's really why we chose this. And it, it just blew me away. You know, I, I had kind of skimmed it before and kind of read pieces of it, but to, to go through and read the whole thing. And, you know, I heard of some guys reading it twice because they loved it so much. Um, it was just actually so helpful. So I thought, you know, turn turn the camera on. We just talk a little bit about the book. And I wanted to share some of uh, my favorite parts. And I hope that it'd be helpful for you and, and that it would, you know, encourage you and, and really challenge you. I'll tell you, I was talking with one of the other tribe leaders and, you know, that verse where the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is one of those books that you read and it's like, you have to kind of wrestle with it and you have to kind of, um, you know, think like, oh, what do I believe about this? You know, he goes through Romans and, and takes you through some foundational things. And so it's a good book to help establish a strong foundation, you know, in what you believe. And so I personally loved it. And, you know, when I read the first chapter and I read this line, you know, he says, we do not wash in iron clothing that we are going to throw away as we shall shortly see. The flesh is too bad to be cleansed. It must be crucified. When I read that, I knew this, all right, we got to read this thing together. We got to have all the guys go through it because he just lays out such a, a powerful image of what salvation looks like and how, you know, uh, salvation saves us. Jesus saves us. Jesus on the cross saves us from our sin. Like it's not a question of, of am I saved and what can I do to be saved? No, if you believe in Jesus, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you're saved. Right. And so, you know, he says, let me say at once, he says this in, in page 35, the blood cannot take us out of Adam. There is only one way since we came in by birth. The Bible says we, we all came into sin by Adam. We must go out by death to do away with our sinfulness. We must do away with our life. Bondage to sin came by birth, but deliverance from sin comes by death. And it is just this way of escape that God has provided. Death is the secret of emancipation. The Bible says in Romans 6, 2, we died to sin. And so he just paints this image of like, the only way to be free is to kill the flesh. And and I love that because we talk about this in Remnant all the time. Like, you know, we talk about dying daily like from that from that message from uh, Dr. Miles Monroe. And I love that uh, Watchman Nee, like he holds nothing back. You know, like he says, you got to kill the flesh. It's got to be crucified. You know, that's something that we want as men in our life. Like we want to crucify the part of us that is ungodly. We want to kill it. We want to put it to death. You know, we don't want to strengthen it. We want our spirit to get stronger. And so I love that that's the central portion of this book. But let me just kind of, I guess, bounce around a little bit and just share some of my favorite parts and, and you know, what I think some of the applications can be from them. But look at this. This is a pretty cool 
perspective shift, you know, in, in what our salvation means. He says this on, on page 117, he says, what we today possess in Christ is more than what Adam lost. Adam was only a developed man. He remained on that plane and never possessed the life of God. But when we receive the Son of God, not only do we receive forgiveness of sins, we receive also the divine life, which was represented in the garden by the tree of life. By the new birth, we possess what Adam missed, for we receive a life that he never had. What a picture. You know, like if you think back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, you know, they chose of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what Jesus does is he comes and he says, like, I am the tree of life. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine and you are the branches, he says. So Jesus is the tree of life. And we get to partake in the life that Adam never chose, that Adam did not have, that he had, you know, God had to take him out of the garden so that he would not access it. But that's what we have in Jesus. Like, it's so much more than just like a religion or a community or, you know, a good thing for morals and for principles. Like in Jesus, we have life. That's why it's all about him. That's why like we need to pursue Jesus and we need to understand that God, you know, Jesus is the second Adam. He's the better Adam. He came, whereas all have sinned and all come, all are born into sin by Adam. Those who are born into Christ, those who receive life in Jesus Christ, it's like, it's like a new family. It's like a new father. The Bible says we've died to sin. It's like you've received an inheritance of everlasting life from Jesus. What an amazing thing. You know, when I read this, it's just like, it, it leads me to want to praise God. It leads me to want to lift up the name of Jesus. You know, I was excited uh, that we were launching presence nights you know, on the back end of our, of reading this book, because it's like, well, I want to come to presence night and I want to come ready. I want to come excited. And you know, for those of you who don't know, presence nights are our worship and prayer nights that we do at the church seasonally, you know, but even on Sunday, I want to go to church and I want to pursue Jesus. I want to thank him for the abundant life, you know, that he gave me. It's a real perspective shift when you read that, that, that really stood out to me. Let me read another section uh, that I really like. This was cool. This, this is, this is challenging. He says this in the chapter, speaking on the Holy Spirit, page 149. says, another friend of mine had a controversy with the Lord. Before his conversion, he fell in love. And as soon as he was saved, he sought to win the one he loved to Christ. But he had nothing to do with spiritual things. The Lord made it clear to him that his relations with that girl must be broken off. But he was deeply devoted to her. So he evaded the issue. While continuing as before, to serve the Lord and to win souls from him, for him, he became conscious of his need for holiness, and that consciousness marked for him the beginning of dark days. He asked the Spirit's fullness. He asked for the Spirit's fullness that he might have power to live a holy life. But God seemed to continually ignore his request. One morning, he had to preach in another city, and he spoke on Psalm seventy-three twenty-five: "Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside Thee." On his return home, he went to a prayer meeting where, to his surprise, a sister got up and read the very same verse from which, unknown to her, he had just preached. Coincidence, right? Following it with the question, can we truly say there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee? That hits home. There was power in that word. It struck right home in his heart. 
he says, and he had to admit to himself that he could not truthfully say that he desired no one in heaven or on earth apart from his Lord. And there then he saw that for him, everything hinged upon his willingness to give up the girl that he loved. He goes on, he says, perhaps for some it might not have involved so much, but for him it was everything. And it's such a beautiful um, portion there. You know, when you read that, when you read that Psalm, like, can we really say that as, as men, you know, as guys? Can we say, whom have I in heaven but thee, God? And there's, no, there's none, there's nothing, there's no one on earth that I desire beside thee. There is no person, there is no goal, there is no achievement, you know, there is no destiny, there is no status, you know, there's nothing on earth that I desire more than Jesus. Can we really say that? You know, can you say that? What a, what a challenging thing to, to wrestle with. Is there anything you know, in your life that you want more than Jesus? I mean, you've got to be honest to be able to answer this question because there might be. And what do you do with that? Well, you've got to give it to God. You know, Jesus should be preeminent in our life, not, you know, our five-year plan, not, you know, uh, my hustle, my grind, my career, you know, not, you know, I want to, you know, I want to get these things done or, or my, my money or my relationships, you know, none of that. You know, for, for some guys, ministry, not ministry. You could put ministry before God sometimes. You, you got to be careful of that. It could become an idol, you know, but, but can you truly say, God, there is nothing on earth in heaven that I want more than you? Because if so, I mean, like that's, that's the place that you want to live. And you want to live in that place that Jesus, I just want more of you. I want more of Jesus. Jesus is the greatest desire of my soul. And if he's not, that's good. You could be honest about it. You can work on it. You can bring these things before God. But you know, at least what I found like in, in my walk with God is the way to grow more hungry, the way to grow more hungry for God is to pursue him. You know, he's like rivers of living water. Like you want to know God more, seek after him, begin to pray. You know, like I've never prayed and got up and said, boy, that was a waste. I wish I didn't do that. No, you pray and you say, I want to pray more. Or you read the word and you say, I want to read more. Or you, you know, you, you hear the word, you say, I want to hear more. Why is that? Because it's, it's, it's abundance. It's, it's rivers of living water. Like it's, 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 it's a, it's a paradox almost that the more you consume, you know, the more, like the Bible says, eat this scroll, the more you consume of the word, the more you take in of Jesus the more that you want. So that's the secret is just starting. Start and you'll see that the passion and the hunger and the desire will grow. So I love that section of the book. Let me, let me show you another one. This was awesome. You know, he begins to tell the story of, of a friend of his who he noticed began to drown. And his other friend was a swimmer and, and you know, he was like, why, why isn't he saving the guy who was drowning? And he, then he, and then he, he noticed he was waiting even longer and this guy was really drowning now and he was really in a dire situation, but his other friend wasn't helping him like that. He, he wasn't going and helping to save him. And he started to get frustrated. Why aren't you helping him? He's drowning, he's drowning. And it wasn't until the, the drowning man absolutely, you know, kind of gave up that finally his friend went over and, uh, and began to, to, to save the guy who was drowning. You know, and he kind of says this, I'll, I'll read this section of it. But when the man was actually sinking with a few swift strokes, the swimmer, his friend was at his side and both were soon safely ashore. 
is when the man was sinking, sinking. Nevertheless, when I got the opportunity, I aired my views. He said to the guy, I've never seen any Christian who love his life quite as much as you too. Think of the distress you would have saved that brother if you had considered yourself a little less and him a little more. You know, he's frustrated because the swimmer wasn't saving the guy who was drowning. But the swimmer, I soon discovered, knew his business better than I did. The swimmer replied to him, he said, had I gone earlier, he said, he would have clutched me so fast that both of us would have gone under. And then here's my favorite line here. He says, a drowning man cannot be saved until he is utterly exhausted and ceases to make the slightest effort to save himself. Amazing. You know, it's a picture of salvation. It's like every attempt that you make to save yourself makes it more difficult for you to actually receive salvation. And so what is salvation? Salvation is giving up and admitting the fact that God is the one who saves. It's not you trying. It's not you reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and even us, like it's so easy as Christians. Like I've, I've experienced, experienced this in my own life. Like it's so easy to begin to, to slip back into, you know, uh, uh, slip back into, you know, what, what do I, you know, how, how do I get the presence of God back in my life? You know, uh, it's easy to slip back into that, but you got to realize it's not, uh, it's not salvation. Salvation is you saying to God, uh, I absolutely cannot do anything. There's nothing I can do about this. There's nothing I can do to bring myself to you. And you give up, you admit the fact that you cannot save yourself. Only then can you experience true salvation. And what a great place to be. It's that humility. You know, what does that lead to? It doesn't lead you to trying harder, to pushing or to stressing. It leads you to receiving grace and to gratitude. You know, when you read this book, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I was grateful to God that he saved me because my efforts and my attempt could not do anything. I could not set myself free. I could not lift myself out of the water. You know, we are drowning men in a drowning world, but glory and thanks be to God that he comes and that he saves us. But what do we have to do? Nothing. You receive salvation. Love that section of it. And I hope it encourages you. Like so many guys really do struggle with that, where it's like, you feel like you have to read the Bible. You know, I'll ask people and I'll say, how you doing, man? I'm okay. You know, I'm having a hard time, you know, trying to read more, trying to, you know, come to church more, trying to, trying to, and, and it's about what you're doing to receive salvation. It's about what you're doing and what you're trying and what you're, and that's backwards. I love the picture that knee, knee paints. He says, you know, give up, give in, you know, let Jesus be the savior. In fact, there's another section of the book, which I, I didn't read, but he talks about how even every time you make an attempt to save yourself, every time you do something to try to earn righteousness with God, it's a rejection of the cross because that's what the cross was. The cross was salvation. So when you begin to work and try or to earn salvation, you're denying the finished work of the cross. No, the cross, what did Jesus say? He said, it is finished. And so salvation is received. You know, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. So you don't have to walk around with guilt and shame. No, you can get up. You can rise. Like Jesus says to his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane, rise up. You know, let us be going. Get on the way. Walk with Jesus. You slip up, rise up. A righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. The Bible says you rise up and you keep going with confidence. The Bible says, let us boldly 
approached the throne of God with confidence and with boldness. Why? Because he saved you. He did all the work. Tell you, it's, it's amazing. And the way that he lays it out is, is so helpful. I hope that part really encouraged. If you want to read that, it's, it's in the chapter where he talks about the meaning and the values of Romans 7. So read Romans 7, read that chapter, and it will help you to understand that just a little bit more. One last thing I'm going to read. Page 239 of the chapter where he talks about the cross and the soul life. It's the last one. He tells a story, which is so cool. He says, once I met a young brother, young, that is to say in years, who had learned a good deal of the Lord. God had brought him through much tribulation to gain that knowledge of himself. And as I talked with him, I said, brother, what has the Lord really been teaching you this, these days? And he replied, only one thing, that I can do nothing apart from him. Do you really mean, I asked, that you can do nothing? Well, no, he said, of course, I can do many things. In fact, that has been just my trouble. Oh, you know, I've always been so confident in myself. I know I am well able to do lots of things. So I asked, well, what then do you mean when you say you can do nothing apart from him? And he answered, the Lord has shown me that I can do anything but that he has said, apart from me, ye can do nothing. So it comes to this, that everything I have done and can still do apart from him is nothing. We have to come to this valuation, and he says, I do not mean to say we cannot do a lot of things, for we can. We can take meetings, we can build churches, we can go to the ends of the earth and found missions. We can seem to bear fruit, but remember that the Lord's word is this, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted, shall be rooted up. Matthew 15, 13. God is the only legitimate originator in the universe, and his Holy Spirit is the only legitimate initiator in our hearts. And anything that you or I plan and set foot on without him has the taint of the flesh upon it, and it will never reach the realm of the Spirit, however earnestly we see God's blessing on it. It may last years, and then we may think we will adjust here, improve there, maybe bring it to a better plane, but it cannot be done. Origin determines destination, and what was of the flesh originally will never be made spiritual by any amount of improvement. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and it will never be otherwise. So anything for which we are sufficient in ourselves is nothing in God's estimate, and we have to, we have to accept his estimate and write it down as nothing. The flesh profiteth nothing. It is only what comes from above that will abide. Mic drop. You know, what an unbelievable section. And I loved that part because it's, a, it's such a, a healthy reminder that you can do absolutely. I mean, we as men, like right, we want to build, we want to work, we want to you know, find success and, and we want to accomplish things in life. And, and so many guys have this drive, you know, like you even see it, like it's, it's like a sexy thing, right? To be like the, the hustler and the grinder. And there's all these YouTubers and, and influencers that teach us to grind, to work, to make things happen, you know, but if you look at the Bible, you look at the word and Jesus says, if it's not for me, it's nothing. It's nothing. If, if God didn't plant it, if God didn't initiate it, the Bible says it will be rooted up. It won't last. And even if it does, even if it, even if it goes years, even if you, you find some semblance of fruit or success by your own definition of success, ultimately Jesus says it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. 
apart from him, we can do nothing. And it's such a, a good reminder to, to let God lead your life. Like, don't make decisions based off of what other people are doing. Like, let's not make decisions by comparison or make decisions by what we think should happen. Make decisions by like our own strategies and planning and by what this guy says in this chart and my five-year plan. And, you know, that's like not how we do things. You know, that will not lead to lasting fruit. That will not last an eternity. You know, God says like, it's got to start with me. We've got to start it with prayer. Like decisions you make for your life, decisions you make for your family, decisions you make for your children, for your career, you know, for what you're going to do, for who you're going to be, for the way you're going to live. Is God involved in our decision-making? Is God involved in our plans and in our strategies? If not, we've got to be careful because the Bible says it'll be rooted up and it's nothing. It's nothing. And you know, the scary part, I mean, it could even be something that you think is for God. We could, we could put the guise of, well, it's for God. Therefore it must be God. No, you've got to hear, you know, this, I read this and it just reminds me why discernment is so important. Discernment, being able to tell, you know, discernment is not really just telling the good from bad. It, it, it's telling the good from God. And that's really harder. You know, figuring out the good from bad, we kind of can figure out when you've walked with Jesus for a little bit. That, that gets pretty easy. But figuring out the good from God, you know, because there are many good things that you can do that might not be from God for you in that season. You know, for one, what might be from God is different than what is for someone else. And so then that's why comparison doesn't work. But what a reminder. What a reminder to keep Jesus as the center, as the navigator, as the leader, as the head of our homes, of our families, of our lives, you know, husbands, you, you lead in your home and that's what we're called to do. We're called to lead. But I'll tell you what I found is the best thing I can do to lead in my home is to keep Jesus as the leader of my home. And how do we do that? We pray. We invite the Holy Spirit into our day. You know, we, we ask God, what does he think? You know, we let our kids know. And, uh, and that's how you lead. You lead by allowing yourself to be led by God. And I pray that as remnant, we would be men who lead other men in our lifestyle, with our way of life, with, with who we are, with, with how we are. We would lead others while being led by the Holy Spirit. You know, follow me as I follow Jesus, right? As I follow Christ, like Paul said, I pray that's us. I pray that's us and all that we do. So man, I hope you liked this podcast. You know, I, I think it was cool just kind of to sit down and, and, and break it down with you a little bit more of a relaxed setting. Uh, but I'll tell you, if you haven't read this book yet, a normal Christian life by Watchman Nee. Make sure you get a copy. Do the audio. It's a little bit longer. It's, honestly, it's a tough read. Some some of the guys told me they had a hard time with it, but uh, it's worth it. It's worth the investment. It will help you. It will challenge you, and uh, will give you some things to think about, which I think is really awesome. But thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast book breakdown: The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. God bless the remnant. Mm-hmm.